A dehydrated skin is one of the most common skin conditions that we see in clinic, and there are several modern day factors that contribute to that tight, rough, dry, and often irritated or sensitized skin condition that many of us battle with. A dehydrated skin will also pronounce the appearance of fine lines and wrinkles and therefore can make us feel like we're looking older than what we actually are. And as we've come to know, longer term dehydration in the skin can lead to a nasty knock-on effect to other undesired skin conditions. So in our effort to achieve a dewy, supple and radiant skin, we look to topicals that can immediately supplement our skin with water and somewhat overcome the symptoms that are associated with dehydration. Simply put, dehydration, whether it be in the body at large or skin specific, refers to losing more water than what is either taken in or what we have in our natural moisture reserves, leaving us in a state of hydration deficit. Not to be mistaken for a true dry skin, which is classified as being deficient in oil or sebum, dehydrated skin is deficient in moisture or water. Every organ of our body, as we know, needs water to conduct its daily business and our skin as an organ is no different. The body, after all, averages about 60% water. And of course, our living skin cells as individual entities house an abundance of water as cytoplasm, something that we covered back in episode two. A discussion about dehydration and the skin will generally revolve around transepidermal water loss, or what we sometimes abbreviate as being CHUL. And this is what much of today's episode will cover. We will explore the factors that contribute to transepidermal water loss and how this occurrence contributes to our overall skin barrier health and our stratum corneum the outermost layer of our epidermis, the stratum corneum's ability to defend itself against the environment that we live in. We'll also explore some general tips and tricks to combat dehydration and maintain healthy moisture levels within the skin, regardless of what season of the year we find ourselves in, because dehydration isn't just reserved to a single season like summer or winter. This is The Power of Protons, a PH Formula Australia podcast for skin specialists around the world. This is where you come to explore the always evolving professional beauty, skin, dermal and aesthetics industry. We cut through the hype to deliver highly researched content designed to empower, educate and inspire. I'm Danielle Hughes, your host and lover of all things skin. I'm a beauty therapist turned dermal clinician turned MBA graduate, and I'm the proud distributor of PH Formula in Australia. It's my pleasure to share my passion for education, skin management, and business every Monday right here on the Power of Protons podcast. 
Transepidermal water loss refers to the evaporation of water through the epidermis. Quite simply, it's moisture we don't hold on to. And when enough escapes, our skin is left dehydrated until we take in water and nutrients and the digestive system then distributes that water and nutrients to the body's organs, including the skin, or until we supplement with a topical product. The connection between transepidermal water loss, dehydration, and the health of our barrier is undeniable. Transepidermal water loss can be considered a tool to measure our barrier function, and it may indicate the pathogenesis of diseased, inflamed, or damaged skin conditions. When we have high rates of moisture escaping faster than that moisture can be replenished, and this may be due to physical or chemical changes, skin conditions like dermatitis and psoriasis may form. And in a cruel twist, these are then conditions that allow for greater volume of moisture loss in themselves. It is important to add here that transepidermal water loss and dehydration isn't the sole indicator of skin health. It's just an important factor, particularly in relation to the epidermal barrier or our barrier function. Of course, there are other factors that determine the overall function and health and physiology of our skin as well, like the metabolism of our cells, oil flow and the distribution of lipids, the distribution of pigment, the activity of our immune cells, the presence of ceramides, and of course, the diversity and the balance of our microbiome, that living ecosystem that reside on and within that outermost layer of skin. According to an article published in 2020 called In Vivo Assessment of Water Content, Transepidermal Water Loss and Thickness in Human Facial Skin, which was written by Shirakina, Shirakin, Xiao, Dewsbury, Enners, and Biaconi. And this is a direct quote now. At the macroscopic level, the main biophysical characteristics of skin are water content, thickness, transepidermal water loss, sebum production, surface pH, melanin index, and desquamation. These properties vary significantly depending on body part. Which raises an interesting point to consider, doesn't it? Once we highlight the various causal factors that can render a skin dehydrated, for example, too much sun exposure, harsh skincare products, soap and alkaline substances. Given that our face is one of the more exposed areas of our body, subject to the elements, and of course, generally the primary target of anti-aging treatments, some of which can disturb the barrier and can be quite harsh, could it be that our face is more prone to dehydration than, let's say, our belly or our upper arms? If we just go back to the article, the 2020 article again, and this is a direct quote, water content and transepidermal water loss can be regarded respectively, and I love this, as the stock and flow of water in human skin. The first, also referred to as hydration, is crucial to maintaining the correct metabolism of the skin. When the amount of water drops below a critical threshold, the enzymatic processes can no longer occur properly, resulting in visible changes like dryness, roughness and flaking. Transepidermal water loss is the flow 
of hydration that leaves the body through the skin. It is the most widely used parameter for assessing skin barrier function and is a good indicator of pathological conditions such as irritation, atopic eczema, contact dermatitis and psoriasis. In this assessment article, we can call it, they highlight that even zones of the face have varying levels of moisture retention. In their study, they found that water loss was higher in the lips and chin and lower in the cheeks. And the least hydrated areas to begin with, so the stock, uh, were lowest at the forehead, lips and nose. Now, a few years back, I was reading an article that called to question the relationship between microbial diversity on the skin, so the microbiome, and any potential link that that had with transepidermal water loss. The article I'm referring to was published in 2019, and it's titled, Is There a Relationship Between Transepidermal Water Loss and Microbial Biodiversity on the Skin? Written by Wallen Russell. Now, whilst this particular article concluded that there didn't appear to be a link, I did think at the time that it marked quite an interesting field for more research. And boy, is there now some research being published surrounding the microbiome of the skin. And I think that's one of the things I love about researching the skin and, and you know, I suppose elements that make up our bodies as humans. There's always so much new research and so many new discoveries being made. So it's always nice to revisit, um, you know, learnings from the past to see if there have been any updates. So in true form, before hitting record on this episode, I thought I might see what new info um, may have come to light that had relevance to share in a conversation specifically surrounding dehydration and transepidermal water loss. And I actually found an article that was literally just published on the 16th of November in 2023. So depending on when you listen to this episode, maybe it won't be so new and fresh, but it's called Longitudinal Study of the Interplay Between the Skin Barrier and Facial Microbiome Over One Year, written by COU and colleagues. And of course, the year it was written was 2023. Interestingly, this article discusses that skin hydration levels and obviously transepidermal water loss impact the dispersion of the microbiome and that there appears to be a correlation between transepidermal water loss and the abundance of QT bacterium, of which your C. acne is the most predominant QT bacterium on the skin. Now, the microbiome plays an important role in the homeostasis of our skin and our innate immune response. So it's important to note that if the skin is dehydrated, this can disrupt the delicate balance of our skin's microbiome and therefore healthy barrier function can become compromised, as can our skin's ability to adequately protect us against infectants and other environmental elements that we come up against throughout the day. Now, as I mentioned, C. acne is the predominant cutie bacterium on the skin. And whilst it is a major resident of the microbiome, and it's not always a bad guy, when they become imbalanced, they are then becoming a major culprit in the development of acne and problematic skin disorders. 
One article I came across actually uh, noted that sea acnes can be referred to as opportunistic pathogens, despite in fact also being named as commensal bacterium that do play an important role in barrier health. And so I suppose the balance of the cutibacterium here is key. When C. acne is in a hyperabundance, its secretion of an enzyme called hyaluronate lyase, that secretion increases. And this then sees an excess of natural hyaluronic acid being broken down, emphasizing what then becomes a bit of a negative feedback cycle where the dehydration and the transepidermal water loss leads to imbalances in the C. acne bacterium, which can then increase the breakdown of natural hydration factors and continue feeding that cycle of dehydration. The article mentions that, and this is now a direct quote, moreover, a previous anti-acne treatment study has reported improvement in skin barrier function, so reduced transepidermal water loss, and simultaneously the relative abundance of QT bacterium tended to decrease. These results can partially explain the impact of skin microbiome on skin characteristics such as barrier function. So it's interesting that in this kind of anti-acne treatment study, they found that when transepidermal water loss was reduced, dehydration was reduced, this would help to settle down that overpopulation of QT bacterium. Leave me a message or reach out via our social channels linked in the episode notes if you would like to continue discussing this new article and the research now becoming available surrounding the microbiome and, of course, what topical skincare products and treatments to look for when seeking additional support for this living ecosystem that populates our skin. The Art Club stands in Barcelona as one of PH Formula's proudest achievements. An advanced skin academy meticulously crafted to bring skin specialists together to undergo holistic training covering skin histology, biochemistry, cosmetic chemistry and medical aesthetics. In line with the excellence and innovation embodied by the PH Formula product line, the international team at PH Formula have dedicated considerable effort to create a purposeful learning environment. Here, the artistry of formulation is highly respected while knowledge is shared and comprehensive training is extended to physicians, clinical aestheticians and aesthetic nurses, advanced skin therapists and industry professionals from all corners of the world. This commitment to leading with education empowers skin specialists with an in-depth understanding of skin health and the resources required to perform advanced and controlled chemical skin resurfacing treatments. Will you be planning a trip to the Art Club in 2024? Our PH Formula Australia hands are up and we cannot wait to share an energising experience at the Art Club with our family of Australian skin specialists. Check out phformula.com.au to discover the innovative art of skin resurfacing and how you can join us on our next trip to Barcelona. 
Let's now shift gears for a moment to talk lamella bodies, also known as one of the keys to skin barrier health and the ability for this barrier to protect us effectively against the environment. This will cement the importance of really optimizing our natural skin barrier if we want to minimize transepidermal water loss that occurs during the day and to really take a stand against dehydrated skin. Within the divisions of our epidermis, fundamental changes are taking place to the daughter cells that were born down in the deep basal layer as they begin their migration and transformation into mature keratinocytes or corneocytes that then provide a powerful wall against the environment when they finally make their way up to the stratum corneum. These structural and functional transformations model the skin that you see on the surface. And when one or more of these stages becomes impaired, the skin appearance may become compromised, as too can the skin's ability to protect us adequately throughout the day and within our environment. One such factor that can change the healthy transformation of our cells and of course the way that our skin ends up looking once it's on the surface that we see with our, with our eyes is the volume of moisture and lipid that the cell receives during its migration to the surface. Lamella bodies secrete granules that form part of the lipid or the oil component required to develop the lipid bilayer or acid mantle, the protective barrier of our skin. Lamella bodies also secrete antimicrobial peptides and enzymes, so they're very important not just to consider in regards to how our skin is able to defend itself against pathogens and nasty environmental elements that we're hoping those antimicrobial peptides can take care of for us, but also important to consider when discussing dehydration, as moisture can more easily escape when there is deficient lipid or oil present in the acid mantle to lock it in. Lamella bodies are themselves also affected by things like inflammation and stress, both uh, external inflammation as well as internal inflammation. And this is just one key reason to minimize topical inflammatory skincare products or professional procedures and to really have a plan for if there is going to be a level of controlled inflammation caused because of course this can affect our barrier, the distribution of lipids and a whole host of other factors. In 2020, the Journal of Aesthetic Nursing published an article which was called Understanding the Needs of Skin of Colour. Now, we can really dive a lot deeper into some of the structural differences between different skin colours and different uh, ethnicity groups, but because, you know, there is a lot more information now available, and I think it would be a really nice episode to do in itself. Let me know if you're, you're keen for that one. But stay tuned in the future because I think that it would be nice to explore that field in a little bit more detail and to see 
what characteristics, what structural and functional changes exist between different ethnicity groups, different skins of colour, to understand any predispositions or increased likelihoods of developing certain skin conditions. But the reason I've brought up this article now is because they specifically mention hydration levels and transepidermal water loss. So whilst we'll go into that in a lot more detail in another episode, I wanted to just lift one little phrase from this article. This is now a direct quote, just to really build out this particular discussion today. Studies show that while black skin has on average a higher sebum content and a more compact stratum corneum, it also has lower ceramide levels. So it loses more water than white skin. And this contributes to increased cirrhosis and the increased likelihood of experiencing dry, flaky and ashy skin conditions, especially in cold weather. Okay, so what can cause skin dehydration? Well, anything really that can impair or disrupt our skin's barrier is problem number one and can lead to a dehydrated skin state. Environmental factors such as prolonged sun exposure and of course sunburn, air conditioning, whether it be hot or cold air conditioning, the wind, sudden changes in temperature that then require the skin to play catch up to normalize and rebalance its secretions, travel, especially on longer haul flights, which are now well known to increase moisture loss and play havoc on the skin's barrier, not to mention play havoc on our sleep patterns, which then ultimately lead to reduced repair processes and obviously, uh, then an impaired barrier performance. Other factors that can lead to dehydration include chemical treatments such as acid peels, particularly acids that work from the outside in, i.e. they're most active on the skin's barrier. Uh, physical treatments such as microdermabrasion, dermaplaning, and thermal treatments, for example, radiofrequency, laser, IPL. These treatments all hold the potential to dehydrate the skin. Now, in the case of these treatments, and of course, most environmental factors that we have listed, the skin's barrier will naturally rebuild itself. It's designed to do that. However, there is a critical time post-treatment where prescribed home care to minimize transepidermal water loss is imperative. Further, so is diet and hydration to support the skin in its recovery or its regeneration from the inside out. Other factors to consider when looking to minimize dehydration and the symptoms that go hand in hand with that are also in the lifestyle category. So the nutrients that we consume, the water or lack thereof that we drink, and of course, any dietary intakes that we know can dehydrate us. For example, alcohol sorry guys, caffeinated beverages, sorry again, these both have the likelihood of being dehydrating, particularly when in excess. Uh, 
Another factor is stress. This one is often, you know, not as easy to navigate or avoid, especially in our modern lifestyle, but it certainly can lead to transepidermal water loss and a dehydrated skin state. Stress hormones decrease our lipid secretions and the presence of structure proteins, which leads to a decreased ability for our stratum corneum to retain the hydration stock. And lastly, soap. Soap is another big one that can cause skin dehydration. A few years back, an article was published in evaluation of how soap affects transepidermal water loss. And in a nutshell, traditional alkaline soaps increase moisture loss and skin redness, which are signs of damage having been um, undertaken to the skin's barrier or having, having been inflicted on the skin's barrier. The longer an alkaline soap is used in a routine, the more cumulative damage is realized. Now, soap is one of the world's oldest cleansers, but that does not mean it's good for the skin. In fact, as we have been educating in professional skin clinics for decades, and obviously now we have a number of research articles that also support the fact that yes, soap, it is a cleanser, but it's not necessarily something that's going to benefit our skin, especially the skin on our face, which is already prone to being dehydrated and to having impairments to its barrier because of how it fronts to our environment. Soaps usually fall between nine to 10 on the pH scale. And we know that with this degree of alkalinity, the skin's delicate barrier doesn't stand much chance. I'm going to quote now from the 2017 article, which was written by uh, Ko Rao Pur and colleagues, and it's called Effects of Four Soaps on Skin Transepidermal Water Loss and Erythema Index. The main components of traditional alkaline soaps are sodium hydroxide and anionic surfactants, which are both known to be irritants to skin. They degrease the stratum corneum from functional lipids such as ceramides and cholesterol. Also, the surfactants bind to the stratum corneum proteins and cause temporary swelling of the cells and temporary hyperhydration. After washing, so after washing the soap away, de-swelling occurs, leading to the development of empty spaces between the cells leading to an increase in transepidermal water loss. Now, the article does discuss creamy soaps as being a better alternative to a traditional alkaline soap. However, the creamy soap that was researched still did have an alkaline pH. It was just balanced with ingredients like tallow and lanolin. So conclude from that what you will. So apart from using a quality cleansing product that doesn't start us on the back foot and certainly a cleansing product that has been specifically prescribed for your individual skin condition, because the cleanser I should use may be different to the cleanser you should use, what else can we do to maintain healthy hydration? Number one on the list is to drink water and to balance your caffeine and alcohol intake if you drink a lot of caffeine and alcohol by upping your water intake. Or you could eliminate some of these well-known yet very popular dehydrators from the diet. 
Supplement with topical ingredients like sirtuins and skin mimetic ceramides. There are some really interesting ingredients coming out that work to supplement depleting ceramide and sirtuin levels in the skin, ultimately to improve the barrier and minimize moisture evaporation through the day. So looking for products that maybe contain sirtuins and ceramides. Also looking for topical products that contain hydration ingredients. Glycerin and hyaluronic acid are well-known ingredients to boost superficial hydration. Another one you may see is Alpina Galanga leaf extract. It's known to support natural hyaluronic acid production. And you may also see products containing glycoaminoglycans and also known as mucopolysaccharides. These guys assist in boosting fundamental components of healthy skin tissue. And pseudoalteromenous exopolysaccharides is another great moisture retaining ingredient that you may see in skincare products. There are also some unique peptides that work to target not just failing cell metabolism, but also failing cell-to-cell communication and to be able to boost the cell's ability to supply some of the natural hydration factors that our skin as an organ relies on to have a healthy barrier and to have a nice, beautifully hydrated skin. Upgrading your topical antioxidant intake is also another important aspect of tackling dehydration. Many effective antioxidants exist in skincare, and these are important ingredients that help to neutralize environmental damages that take place during the day, which can contribute to barrier disruption and the evaporation of moisture and therefore a dehydrated skin. So some examples and just four examples. There are so many antioxidants out there, but four fairly commonly used and and accessible ingredients to look for are vitamin E, ferulic acid, that's another brilliant ingredient, vitamin B3 or niacinamide, and green tea extract. So there's some potent antioxidants you can look for. Many products are also now developing uh, ingredient complexes and formulas that contain ingredients such as uh, pre and postbiotics and ferments to support and and balance the microbiome of the skin, which as we've learned in this episode, also plays a role in whether our skin is dehydrated, whether our skin can lock in that moisture. We can look to skincare products that have sophisticated delivery vehicles to rapidly penetrate actives beyond the skin's barrier, where there is less likelihood to cause surface disruption that can lead to transepidermal water loss through gaps that had been created in the barrier. And it goes without saying using acids and other ingredients, even like vitamin C and retinoids, which convert into acids, using them really carefully and under the guidance of a qualified skin specialist. Ingredients like glycolic acid, ascorbic acid or vitamin C, retinol, 
these are ingredients that do hold potential to irritate and impair the barrier. And this point also extends to using harsh granular exfoliants and over exfoliating with the incorrect products for your individual skin condition and treatment goals. So following the guidance of a skin specialist when incorporating acids and other um, regenerative and exfoliating actives in your skincare routine is really, really important. So if your skin is showing signs of dehydration like tightness, roughness, dryness, redness, new sensitivities, itchiness, blotchy skin tone, or more pronounced lines and wrinkles, these were some of the generic tips and tricks that you can apply in conjunction or in collaboration with your skin specialist to integrate into your daily routine that help combat a common skin condition that can quickly turn into a more challenging situation like acne, like hyperpigmentation, and like inflamed skin conditions, for example, dermatitis and rosacea. Last but absolutely not least, with all the dehydration treatment tips and trips that we have given you, a broad spectrum sun protection product cannot be skipped. Look for a minimum SPF 30 when you're out in the elements and preferably for a modern sun protection product, one that contains some antioxidants and ingredients that help defend the skin against environmental infrared and thermal influences. Reapply often as per the manufacturer's instructions and wear sun protecting clothing like a wide brim hat, long sleeves and sunnies when you are out in the elements. Not only will this help to defend you against life-threatening skin cancers, but it will also help to reduce barrier impairments that lead to skin dehydration. There has been a lot of information on this episode. I sincerely hope that you have enjoyed episode five of the Power of Protons podcast. I look forward to having your company again next Monday for our next new episode, episode six. Until then, have a positively charged week ahead and bye for now.